change starts with you, then your world, then the world. Welcome back. You are listening to Let It Out. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. Today's guest is Dom Roberts. She is an activist, artist, designer, content creator who has such an interesting story and is doing such important work with so much gentleness and kindness and ease. She's only 22, which isn't really relevant, but she's already really prolific to me and so young, so maybe worth saying. I'm just incredibly grateful that she came on the podcast and took the time to articulate all that she did. We get into having tough conversations with friends and family and what that looks like. We talk about self-care and how that's unique for everyone and how she's taking care of herself right now. We talk about authentic versus performative allyship and how cancel culture plays a role into that the importance of design when sharing content. We talk about social media etiquette, being yourself on social media and sorting that out, systematic change, the importance of unpacking racism early and how she did that in her life and that process and way, way more. I am so honored to share her with you today and so honored that she did the podcast. Please follow her for so many resources and how you can become an active ally. And her work is just really cool. You're going to see it. And she just has a, a great eye. And the way she speaks with so much gentleness and ease She's really friendly and approachable and kind and smart. And I'm going to stop gushing about her and let you hear her now. So thanks for being here. I'm so grateful that you're listening and I'll talk to you at the end. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people like us. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, get lost in creativity. Skillshare offers membership with meaning, with so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. These lessons can help you stay inspired and express yourself and introduce you to a community of millions. At a time when there are so many important conversations happening in our world, your voice is more essential than ever. Explore classes to unlock your creativity for social good. Honestly, there are so many classes on Skillshare. Wow. Productivity, marketing, fine art, music production, animation, photography, graphic design, UX design, creative writing. That's what I'm really into. There's so many classes on freelance and entrepreneurship, which is really exciting. I mean, Emma Gannon has this class that I'm very into about discovering successes. There are seven exercises to help you uncover your true purpose and passion and path. 
She's someone I really admire. Also, I've spoken before about Lindsay C. Holmes and her class that is productivity with everyone using one tool for everything. And I think that's really cool. I mean, honestly, you guys, Parker Guard has this class about building an Etsy shop. And I mean, there's just honestly so much I want to do and learn and so many classes that I want to take. It's a lot and I'm really excited about it. If you are too, Skillshare is incredibly affordable, especially when you compare it to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Start with two months free of a premium membership and explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash let it out. That's two months free at Skillshare.com slash let it out. Thank you so much for, for being here, Dom, and for doing the show. I am so grateful for your work and everything that you've been sharing is so important about anti-racism and you do it with such gentleness and with such a beautiful aesthetic. I'm so happy that I found you and that we got to get this in. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been so crazy just how fast this has blown up and the response to all the stuff that I've been putting out. So I'm genuinely so thankful that so many people are just paying attention and looking. And I'm also so thankful for you reaching out. I'm so happy to be on your show. That's so nice. I, I feel the same. It's so mutual. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, tell me, I would love to know how you're feeling about everything, but with exactly what you just shared of the the growth and what has happened with your work in relation to everything that's going on in the world in these last couple of weeks? So what's really crazy is this is nothing that I would have ever dreamed or imagined happening when I like first started, I guess, making graphics and just putting stuff out there, especially the initial one that I had made that said like, don't ignore something because it makes you uncomfortable. I was like not expecting it to just blow up and go viral. And pretty much over a span of two weeks, I've gained 50,000 followers, which is crazy because that was like not my intent at all to get any recognition. I really just wanted to spread awareness. So to me, I'm like constantly being like blown away by the response and so many people like reaching out, which is incredible. Yeah. How are you taking care of yourself throughout this? So I feel like this week is actually my first week. It started last week where I was like, okay, if I'm in this for the long haul, I need to like start really setting up boundaries and taking care of myself for rest. I feel like I tend to be quite the workaholic, especially since the stuff that the content that I come out with is very, it has such a high emotional toll just because it's so personal. And it's so real that it can be like emotionally draining. And so I, this past week, I've just been trying to set up boundaries for myself to like, and also tell my followers when I'm resting. So like, they know like they should rest too, but I've just been like trying to separate like myself from Instagram. Uh, Cause that's where I, uh, the biggest part of my platform. So I really try like today we have this call, but for the most part, I didn't do like any work really. So I like to do like fun stuff. 
Cause like rest for me, isn't just like sitting on the couch and like binging a Netflix show, which is like so good. But for me, it's really to just like be inspired. I like to go to like a lot of my favorite coffee shops, get my favorite food. And that's what I did today. And I'm, I was hanging out with a friend a little bit. Those are like little things as like resets. Cause I feel like not always I'm able to escape and go to like the beach or something like that. But little resets with like doing my favorite things have honestly been so helpful towards like sustaining me just because like I'm in a really busy season right now. Yeah. I love that you said that, you know, self-care looks different on everyone and it looks different based off of the time of the year and the time of the month and the time that you're in with your work. And I think it's also really cool that you share it with your followers because that alone can inspire people to do the same. Yeah. And I think it's so cool. Like when I think hustle culture is the worst, I totally denounce hustle culture just because I feel like how much time you don't take care of yourself doesn't equate to like you being better or working better. And I just think it's so important that in a world that honestly values and looks to hustle culture like, wow, I haven't slept in three days, but look at like all this stuff I've accomplished. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you haven't slept in three days. Like you might die. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that like, for me, I was interning at my church and that's honestly where I learned graphic design and social media marketing and all that stuff. But I had a total season of burnout where I just was done. Like my brain was honestly done And I remember I would like try and have conversations with people and I couldn't even like form sentences because I was just so mentally exhausted, which was actually like a really scary place to be in. I was just so irritable all the time. And I kind of like took a step back because it was just a very like fast paced, like intense environment. And so like taking a step back and now like the role that I'm in now I think going through that season of burnout has totally set me up for success now because I know like my breaking point and how to like not get there. Mm, That's so great that you got that so early and you know that it's a much more sustainable way to work and live. And I think through work and productivity, it's true. And I think it's also true in creativity and your work, most people's work, I guess, blends both of those things. And I think it is true. And, and even in, in your work too, of like sad things can bring art, but also to make that art taking care of ourselves is actually really useful. Yes, 100%. And I think to make like real art too, I think Cornell West, who is just like, I don't know if you've ever, he's like a professor at Harvard, but I just listened to a lecture of his and he was talking about what it takes to be a great artist. And he was like, to have an artist takes like a soul and integrity and also a sense of accountability. And I just totally that like spoke to me because I think that in a society where we can make stuff up and we can make up artificial things, I think to see stuff that comes from people's heart takes the accountability of wanting to like take care of ourselves and nurture our inner being to like see what else would come from taking care of ourselves, you know? Yeah. Wow. I love that. So for everyone listening, I loved when you posted, you know, a couple weeks as you were really growing, maybe somewhat early on, you posted a photo of yourself and just said like, 
hi, I'm a college student. This is a, a bit about me. What was the reaction to that post and how did that feel for you to you know, put your face out? And can you tell a little bit about what you said there? Yeah, I guess I, I had realized when making all these graphics that people who go to my page or see my page probably now only see like graphics. And so I was like, shoot, I don't even know like <laughs> if people know that I'm just like a singular person and I'm just like this college student, this girl out here. It was really cool. I feel like so many people like realize that I'm like a person, a face to the art. And everyone's honestly been so kind. I've just received so many kind messages. Even like your Instagram DM was so kind from you and so many amazing people just reaching out. So the response was honestly, I thought was so cool. And it was just cool that not only people like valued my art, but like people genuinely like valued me as a person, which was so crazy. Cause I like feel like two weeks ago, I was just like this girl, this like normal, <laughs> like college student, I guess. So it's just like crazy. It's so cool. I mean, it makes me so happy that someone who's genuinely so kind and grounded and making work that is so helpful and beautiful and poignant is getting attention. Like that makes me, you know, in a really challenging time, feel a sense of sparkle, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the beginning. So, where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? Have you always had an eye for design and social justice? Uh, yeah. So, it's really interesting. So, I grew up originally in Arizona, Chandler, Arizona. It's like a suburb right outside of Phoenix. And I'm half Black and half Filipino. So I grew up mostly around like my Filipino family. And the Black side of my family is from like North Carolina. So I didn't see them a ton growing up. And also I was raised in like a predominantly white, like upper middle class neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I kind of at a young age, I I was introduced to that like I'm different from everyone else. And it was kind of like a sad way, unfortunately, that I like realized <laughs> I was black because I like honestly genuinely didn't know a difference. Like I thought we were all just like people, which I know sounds really crazy and naive, but like it was in first grade that I like my dad like had to sit me down and like tell me like, hey, this is who you are. The world is gonna see you as like a black woman. And your mom's Asian. Like, I didn't even know my mom was Asian. I know that sounds so bad, but I was genuinely like the idea of race was so confusing to me. But how it kind of came up was I had a friend, we were like six or seven, and pretty much I would hang out with her every day. And I remember I was supposed to go over to her house or hang out with her at her house. And she told me, and she was like, hey, my parents don't want you to come over because my grandpa's in town and he doesn't like black people. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I was so confused. I was literally so confused. And I told my dad and he just, I could tell he was like really bummed that he had to like explain this like reality to me because I was so young. Pretty much was just like, and also like, these are words people could call you or people would refer to you by and like, you need to like be very aware. So like at a young age, I was like opened up to the idea that like right off the bat, I was different. And in ways, it was kind of isolating just because I was the only black kid growing up 
going to my school until I think it was third grade, another black family, another black kid started going to my class and, and stuff. So I, from a young age, like Loki hated being black. I just wish I was the same as everyone else. And that kind of like self-hatred turned into like an internalized racism thing, which feels like really weird to say, but I kind of always tried to be like the token black girl. Like I really wanted to from a young age. I think, I don't know, I almost kind of wanted to deny my blackness. And in ways, I think that also really suppressed the artist in me, which sounds really crazy to say, like referring to myself as an artist, but it wasn't until I started working at Buffalo Exchange when I was had just graduated high school. And in high school, I kind of had like this emo phase. So I guess like the artist in me was trying to get out, but couldn't. So it was like, I'm going to be emo. <laughs> but then after I just graduated high school, I started working at this retail like thrift store, Buffalo Exchange. And I was surrounded by so many just cool, different people. And I slowly started to kind of unpack this internalized racism I like had towards myself and the Black community just because like I had been rejected by white culture in a way. So I did like everything to fit in. And through that unpacking and realizing that like it's okay, like for the longest time I would never get weave or braids or anything because I was like scared that I'd be perceived a certain way. So I like always try to wear my hair natural. But then I just kind of came to this place where I realized that like I was denying this whole side of my culture because I was so afraid of like how I was perceived by honestly like white America. And I think through that I started looking more into like art and I started just Pinterest boards of like things that were like interesting. And would go on Tumblr and just like look at stuff, even though I didn't know how to create anything. And then I realized that like Arizona was just like not the place for me. I was like, dang, I need to get out of here. So I transferred schools and went to like an extension site. Um, and it's like this Bible college in LA, really small. And when you go to it, you also intern. And the church that I ended up interning at, they have the social media is like great. And it receives like, I think when we had first started, when I had first joined the team, they were at like 70,000 followers. It was just like really cool content, really creative and honestly different from like the basic, I guess, church Instagrams that are usually pretty boring. And a lot of the creatives I was surrounded myself around had just so much knowledge and were so different from like any of the people that I've known. And so they taught me, honestly, how to design off of my phone and aesthetics and marketing stuff. And I just learned so much in that year. And so like fast forward to where I'm at now, I've honestly been designing the majority of stuff off my phone. I just recently started to learn how to use Illustrator and Photoshop. But it's crazy that like just surrounding yourself around artists and when you allow yourself to be the true you, if you're an artist, like it just kind of comes out of you. Mm, yeah. Wow. It really sounds like everything, all of those dots that you just connected from your childhood to high school to recently have primed you to be the perfect 
person to do this specific thing right now. Yeah. Really cool and kind of magical to hear. I'm curious, what is the program that you use on your phone? I'm like the most ghetto designer. Like I'd honestly be so embarrassed to have like a a person who like uses like software, like Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever to like see what I use. But I have like this basic like text app called like Fonto. It's literally the most random looking app ever. You would like pass by it on the app store. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about it is you can download things as PNGs, which is pretty much a text overlay. So you can apply it to anything. And then you can download any font onto it too. So I could like download a font for my computer and download it to my phone and it would, yeah. So, and it's, it's like great. It like helps you like, you can color change stuff, but in ways it's like restricting. And then there's like other apps I use for like texture stuff. Um, Like this one app called like InShot. I have just like messed around with for like texture stuff and honestly just like random ones I guess like I kind of just go through the app store and look at different apps and like download a ton of them and then be like oh that's cool and then I'll like use it and then like delete it and be like oh actually this app has like all of those things yeah so (laughs) yeah I don't um I'm like but those are like the two main ones that I use for like a lot of the stuff for like texture and everything. And then I've been trying to like mess around on the computer more just so I can like grow and what I'm able to create. But yeah, it's been, (laughs) I'm like, there's so many like real graphic designers that have like reached out to me, like gone to school for graphic design and everything. Been like, wow, your stuff is so amazing. And I'm like, dang. And I'll like go on their page and it's like all this crazy complicated stuff that I can even begin to fathom how to do and I'm like dang that's so crazy because like your stuff is sick I don't even know how to do any of that so it's really it's really cool that art is true to the artist and it's true to the eye of the beholder and stuff because yeah I guess the system that I use is not anything crazy yeah I really love that because I think it's going to be really expansive to people or is to me to think you know you have to have a special training or degree to do something like this and you just started and I think when things are correct and when things are needed they flourish in this sort of a way and it's really cool to see that you know yeah there's this artist that I listen to this band the internet and one of the people in the band um steve lacy he's like this really cool black artist and he did a tedx talk actually that i just listened to and he was talking about how he every year for like four years would ask for a macbook pro and his parents honestly like didn't have the money for it but he would just like ask like every year and one year and they didn't give him macbook pro but they gave him an ipod touch and he like learned downloaded GarageBand and like all these different, I guess, apps and just would like mess around on his iPod touch. But when he turned 16, Ego Death was like their Grammy nominated album. And he was like a part of their band. And he was just pretty much kind of the same concept that I believe as just like, if you're an artist, you don't need the craziest softwares or the $4,000 MacBook to create things. And I know that it's 
easier said than done. There were plenty of times when I've been super discouraged and been like, dang, if I just had like that $4,000 MacBook, I would just be able to download all these softwares and like do all this stuff. But honestly, I just think that the response that I've received is like proof that if your work is true to who you are, there's no way it can be like hidden or like people won't see it. Yeah. Wow. That's such a great story. And I think, yes, that's so true. What you said, like, I love that so much. And then I, I also heard you say, I think on, on your page or on another podcast where you were like, you know, you were very aware of your content aesthetic and being shareable because, you know, we live in, I think you said we live in a world where people don't want to mess up their feed. Yeah. Um, So can you, (laughs) can you talk about that? I think that's so true. Like, I feel like people always think that content, like just because content is good, like doesn't mean it's always shareable. And that's like one of the things that I like learned at like my internship is there's so many pages actually that if you like go on their page, it looks not aesthetically pleasing. Like you want to just click on that page and like start scrolling through it and being like, oh, this looks awesome. But like if you were to look at the content of the page, you'd be like, oh, wait, shoot, everything they're saying is so true. And I just realized a lot of the, I guess, awareness graphics were just honestly either too loaded up with like information or just weren't presented in the most aesthetically pleasing way. So when I had made my initial graphic for George Floyd's death, I like had just decided I was like, okay, first thing is like, I know people aren't going to want to look at this. So like, I'm going to put a statement that's true. Remove away the situation. The statement is true. Like don't ignore something because it makes you uncomfortable. We share graphics like that all the time, just like something that we resonate with. And then the swipe was like, his name and who he was. And then the other swipe was like ways to get involved. And I just think that like to our culture, like I don't think it's bad that people don't want to mess up their feed. And I want to just provide, I guess, like a neutral, aesthetically pleasing like graphic that if you believe is shareable, then please, by all means, share it, you know? But at the same time, I do think, just feel like people shouldn't feel bad for wanting something to look good. Our favorite coffee shops, even, they probably don't even have the best coffee, but if the vibe is like there totally. and, like, cute and aesthetically pleasing, like we'll want to go and stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really important generationally. And this is something else I wanted to bring up and that you've spoken about before, but you said that there are some kids commenting on your posts and you realize that peer pressure and seeing what other people are sharing can really create change. And... I heard you talk about the importance of unpacking racism early and this social media world that we find ourselves in is directly related to that of you're helping to make and correct me like how you feel about me saying this, but being anti-racist shareable and cool because these kids are going to run companies and employ people. Yeah. 100%. Like, let's make this the cool thing. Like, I feel like that's the goal. Honestly, I feel like even things that are outdated, why would anyone want to listen to that? And I don't think that's like a diss to like good humanitarian efforts or whatever, like DARE, for example. 
that whole program about like don't do drugs and stuff like there's not it's not a realistic approach like they're like if a scary man comes up to you in a van and offers you drugs what do you say no like I've never a scary (laughs) man has not come up to me and been like do you want drugs girl like no totally I I was at my friend's backyard and they're like hey like do you want to hit I'm like sure you know so it's like the approach to like all of this is so outdated. And I feel like the same approach towards racism, like people still, the people that don't understand the black lives matter movement, or honestly the content on my page are the same people that think we fix racism by getting rid of segregation and letting black people sit wherever they want on the bus and they can vote and they're not enslaved. It's like the problem with racism is so much deeper than that. Yet when we're in school, we're, we're taught such an out, dated form of education the racism we need to learn about is police brutality and the institutionalized prison systems and redlining districts and all of these things that currently affect our today and why the projects are filled with so many families of color and it's such like this outdated conversation that we're having right now same goes for like the shareability of like these graphics and the things that I'm like presenting. I'm like, I will do this in a way that like this little girl in high school, she will put on her cute little feed and her little visco feed. Like she'll share that with her friends and she'll put it on her Tumblr and all this stuff. Because at the end of the day, like I want to present being anti-racist in a relatable, true, honest and authentic way to just be like, this is our reality. And like, there's going to be situations like these are the real situations that I've personally faced in my life. And this is how it's affected me. Or like, this is the real reality that we're faced with as in America. And like, this is how we need to approach it. Even my page, I feel like doesn't necessarily talk about like systematic oppression of people, but on me, I'm, I'm the most, I'm like a very practical person. So I like talking about steps in a very practical way. So I'm like, hi, this is gaslighting. And you're like, what? Like, how does this apply to racism? Okay, well, here's an example of what it would look like if someone were to gaslight you uh, when you wanted to talk about racism. And it's a very practical thing that honestly hundreds of people do every day. But if I didn't present it in a practical example, it's like so many people wouldn't even recognize it, if that makes sense. No, that was perfect. Can you talk about, you know, what you were saying of the system needs to change for how we teach about it. Do you have a solution or an idea? Yeah, I think like first it starts, starts with our teachers and I think it starts state by state. In Arizona, for example, the governor came out with this really stupid standardized test. I remember when I was a junior in high school and my parents were like pissed about it because it was like, thousands and thousands of like tax paying dollars for like this new standardized test. And we were like confused why we had to take it. Like this test didn't like account for anything. And it honestly was just like the test we've been taking in school and like all the Arizona standardized testing, whatever. And so my parents are like so pissed. They're like, you're not taking that test. And like, actually a ton of like Arizona families protested it and like wrote this letter about how we shouldn't have to take this test. And the fact that 
this governor, honestly, like respect that. I guess he was trying to come up with like a new system to hold like the education system accountable. And I was like, so if you have the power to make every single school in Arizona take this standardized test or attempted to, I'm like, same should go with a reform towards introducing what it means. Like there's so many things that have changed. Like the textbooks that I was using, they were like from the early 2000s and 90s. Like technology wasn't even a thing that they were like taking into account when it came to like just the things we're learning about. And I feel like we truly need an update of like our textbooks and from an unbiased front too. And just like a basic understanding of like all these things that we need to relearn as a society when they talk about racism, they tell us that it's over. Yeah, we won the civil rights movement and the civil war. And that was the end of racism. The end, smiley face, rest in peace, Martin Luther King. Right. Like that's literally straight up how we be taught about racism. When in reality, we have Jim Crow Jr., the prison systems and the 13th Amendment that allows these prison systems to keep black men in jail for petty theft and crimes and the over-policization of impoverished neighborhoods and all these things. And so it's like, the, it's, it's this legislative power that the governor or whoever is like in charge of these states to like start putting funding, honestly. And that's where like, I know people are, get so scared and like caught up when they hear like, defund the police. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what? Like, and defund the police doesn't mean get rid of police. Like we all need to be held accountable for the law. But with that being said, could there be a reallocation of these funds going into our school system so that it's a prevention process, right? The greatest thing that we could do is put money into prevention so that police don't even have to be in situations where there are like these high escalated issues. I think that starts at the school front and like a funding front of being like, okay, well, then what does that mean? We need to do a better job funding public schools. Like the fact that public schools are funded by property taxes is so unfair. In the projects, if you're paying $50 a month to stay in government housing and a quarter of that is going towards property taxes, well, the school that your son goes to is not going to be that good. And it's like, we need to start. These are like the the gears that need to start turning. The system's been broken for so long that we need a new one at this point. We're so far from backtracking that like at this point, we need a new one. It's like when slavery happened, we put a Band-Aid on and we're like, okay, see? But it was like this gushing blood wound, but we just like kept this Band-Aid on it. And then it got infected. So then the civil rights movement happened and they just bandaged it up, but still never did anything about the problem. And now fast forward to 2020, it's like, we need to cut the leg off. It's wow, like you had, yeah. you had hundreds of years to perform surgery on the leg. And it's like, at this point, we need to lose a leg and put in a different leg. Because right now the problem is it's gone into the point where it's past backtracking and fixing and taking this thing to surgery it's like now we really actually need to just cut off the leg and start fresh and really change yeah wow that was so well put and such a good analogy you also you know i feel like it starts 
also with the teachers and the older people and administrators understanding this. And you said something again, I think it was on a, a, either a podcast. I listen to you on every podcast you've ever done. Oh Oh my gosh. Thank you. And you were amazing. And I watch all of your videos. So I don't know where I got this, but you said it's one thing to make a decision to be an ally and it's another to call someone out. And that's the best way to be an ally because everyone is afraid of being the bully in the room. And I just highlighted that and wrote it down because I thought that was so well put. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I think when we start moving towards allyship, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess there's levels to allyship too. And I think you don't just arrive one day and you decide in your heart, like, I'm an ally to the Black community. Yes, it's a decision, but it's like an ever-working one because the definition of an ally is like constantly changing. And I think on a very basic structure, I think first, like, the steps to becoming an ally is like change starts with you, then your world, then the world. So it's like change starts with you. Like you start the change in here. You unpack your underlying covert racism and then you start getting educated. You start reading books, you start whatever, you know, learning about the different policies and potential policies we could put into place to like become an anti-racist society. Then you start posting about it and you start signing petitions. You might even donate money if you're able to. And that's like the basic level of like allyship, right? That's all on like a you front. The change is happening within you and affecting who you are as a person. Then the second level to that is that you're going to start living it out. So if you're in a setting where, you know, you're getting out, you're walking out of the store and a black guy's walking out of the store and the alarm goes off and the guy's like, oh, sir, can I check your bag? And then you're walking out and he doesn't ask to check your bag. You would turn around and be like, wait, why didn't you ask to check my bag? That's like a genuine reality. And another even better reality that honestly we need to see more people is like to speak up if you're in a white space and there's no black people around and someone makes a racist comment. I mean, how uncomfortable would it be to call someone out, right? You're like, dang, there's not even any black person that's here that would offend them. But it's like that thought isn't good enough. It's like you need to extend the thought to that is just not okay to say in general. And it's like to be anti-racist means you have an intolerance towards racism. Well, what's an intolerance? If someone tells you they're intolerant to milk, you're not going to give them milk. You're going to give them a milk alternative. You're like, here's almond milk, close oat milk. And if you do give them milk, they're going to get sick. There's going to be whatever, you know, there's going to be some problems. And so when you're saying you're anti-racist really means you have an intolerance. Racism can't be around you. And that's the goal as a society is that you would have an intolerance towards racism that when you're in these spaces where no people of color or black people are, and someone says something that's racist or racially charged comment, you would stand up, not afraid of like what people would have to say. And you'd be like, actually, that comment was inappropriate. Or, hey, actually, that comment, I don't know if you meant to like come across this way, but it would actually be perceived like X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, that comment is extremely offensive. Like, I don't appreciate you saying that. And it doesn't, I think like when people think like calling someone out, it needs to be like this, shame on you. You're a racist. Why would you say that? But it really is just like a gentle correction of like, hey, 
that comment you made, like that really wasn't cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like what we have to start doing. Cause like, if we don't call out people when they're wrong and there's no correction, well, then we're just going to do this all over again. There's just going to be another situation and another time and another person and another graphic and another movement. Like that's just what's going to keep happening if we really don't right now, like hold ourselves accountable. And I think like the third piece to that is like, you're, you know, you're changing yourself, you're changing your world. And that ultimately is what's going to change the world, right? It's like, if enough people start calling it out, if enough people take self inventory, if enough people take a stand and build an intolerance towards racism, well, then racism has no place to exist. And I'm not saying that will completely eliminate racism because as human beings, we all have prejudices. Like it's just, it's human nature, but it won't exist on a systematic level that causes people to not be treated equally. Mm, yeah. I I think the what you're talking about and, and what you said in the quote that I read about being the bully in the room, I was thinking about that as you explain that. And it, I feel like the issue is, it's kind of like, you know, that annoying quote that I feel like was everywhere in my childhood of like doing what's right is not always popular and what's popular yeah. is not always right. And it felt so dorky, but the older it's I get- so true. It's so goddamn true, you know? Yes, and like, so that's, true. that's the thing with this, you know, it's like, you're not actually being the bully in the room. You're actually yeah. standing up for the person who is the, what do you call it? Whoever the bully is getting, you know, the yeah. underdog or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that takes practice and bravery. And the more you do it, the easier it is. And yeah, I, I, I think also, you know, this is something else I wanted to bring up. And I know we wanted to talk about the importance of a genuinely a genuinely diverse community and the yeah. difference between tokenism and genuine diversity. And I think that issue of standing up for the marginalized group or black people is easier when there's, hopefully when there is a more diverse group or hopefully that doesn't happen at all. But can you, can you talk about that and that distinction start there maybe? Yeah, no, 100%. I think tokenism is like a quick fix to a big problem. It's like, once again, you're putting the bandaid over the problem, which I've seen a lot of like brands and companies do, which I'm like, oh my gosh, it's actually very frustrating. And I think right now we have also a really big cancel culture of like companies, which and just people in general, which like needs to stop because cancel culture is like extremely harmful. But I think when it comes to tokenism, you're just like, oh shoot, we actually don't, we don't have any black people. We don't have any, or any person of color. We don't have all the ads we brand don't have any black people. All the stuff we do doesn't market to black people or highlight black culture, highlight people of color and like different cultures and ethnicities. And it's a very diverse brand company. It's like, shoot. Okay. 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 I know what we're going to do. The next product we run, we're going to hire a diverse model group and there's going to be no white models. And it's just like a complete rebranding, but only on the ad level. 
And even in business, like there, there's diversity quotas. I'm like, why in the world are there diversity quotas? You're telling me there's not enough people to go around. And if there isn't enough people to go around, then why isn't there enough people going around? Tokenism is such a horrible, dangerous thing because it's you're worse than the actual problem. You're trying to seem like you're a part of the solution instead of genuine diversity. Genuine diversity actually takes time. Genuine diversity is what Man Repeller is actually doing, which is so cool. But they pretty much released a statement of being like, this is us as a company. Right now, we have 14% of our company represents diverse people. And I think it was like 8% is like black people or something like that. Like those were like, I might have messed up those statistics, but I'm pretty sure they said like 14% of their company was diverse. They were like, we are sorry. We are a part of the problem. And it is our, right? They were like, these are the direct action steps that are going to make immediate impact. But as the future of our company, this is the plan of action so that we can get real and true diverse voices into our company. And I'm like, yes, this is what I am talking about. Full transparency, illuminating the problem, but also realizing that this is a problem that can't be solved overnight. Whereas a parallel is like The Bachelor. Their last Bachelorette had a huge scandal of saying the N-word on an Instagram live and no one in bachelor nation held her accountable. You can just tell she didn't say anything for like two weeks. And after George Floyd's passing, she had like released this video and I'm just like, okay, so clearly we can kind of see here what this looks like. And then instead of the bachelor nation being like, Hey, what Hannah Brown did was wrong and holding a person accountable, right? I'm not saying cancel them, but hold them accountable for something they've done. Instead, other people just started defending her and defending what she did and saying that it's okay. Like all just all this stuff. And like, it was a mistake, like get over it and not holding her accountable. And then to make it all worse, I don't even think they've released a statement saying as the bachelor, we have not done enough to uplift black voices and have diversity instead they just announced they're having a black bachelor as a guy that's best friends with the girl who said the n-word like there's no correction that to me is like pure form definition tokenism yeah like you are putting a band-aid over the problem instead of it's like you need to just expose it like, it's like, you know, when like you tell it, like you tell like a lie and you're just like, okay, that was like a little mini lie. And then you tell like an even bigger lie because you're like, shoot, that needs to, and then it's just a snowball effect of the yeah. lies, the white lie trail. Same goes for tokenism. Okay. Well, we're going to cover up here and then, okay, we're also going to do that. And then we'll, and if we do this, then instead of just owning up and being like, we are a part of the problem. That's what genuine diversity looks like. Man Repeller will go on and live and be sustainable because of this one thing that they've chosen to do where I'm sure it's only a matter of time until there is like another mistake that The Bachelor makes where they get like straight up canceled. And I just think tokenism is playing with fire. 
It's like there's only a matter of time before Diet Prada or someone or BuzzFeed or someone calls you out on something you've been doing. Whereas like Man Repeller, they've addressed the problem. And I think that's what so many people actually need to do on like a real scale for working towards genuine diversity. And so many of my friends who have platforms and their influencers have been like, I'm sorry and I've not done enough. And I'm owning up to it right now. And I'm going to do everything moving forward to be better. I think that ownership is, that's what's going to change the world. Yeah. Well, I'd love to ask you, what is it that Man Repeller is doing? They're owning it. They're showing it. You know, I loved that because my grandma would always say, a lie has no legs. It needs additional lies to support it. And that's essentially Mm -hmm. like what tokenism is, is doing. It's like more lying. It's more covering up. And I, I've been having a lot of conversations with myself in these last few weeks of, you know, noticing where I am with this and, and trying to take, you know, a man repeller approach, but also knowing that that takes time and there's a lot of shame attached to that on my end. And, you know, our, our 300th episode came out last week. And when I was creating that, I, I wanted it to be a reflection and eclipse episode. And I was looking back and, you know, I have been prioritizing Black, Indigenous, people of color for years. However, I still have an overwhelmingly white archive of people and a lot of my network and friends and people I could call in for favors when you know the podcast was just starting out were white. And I think yeah. that is something that I'm realizing now is a systemic issue and will take time. And there's a bit of frustration there. And you know what I said in that episode is like, okay, I'm acknowledging this. This is super not cool. It's a bummer. And here's what I'm going to do. And I can commit to you for the next 300, but this is there's nothing I can do about the systematic issue before that. Exactly. Can you give me any feedback or anything I should should have done differently there or anything that you point out from Man Repeller that they're doing correctly? Or is that basically the gist of it? Yeah, I think that's the gist of it. I think it's like you recognizing like, okay, actually, shoot, there are not, I have no diversity pool right now. Like I don't have any other diverse voices I'm uplifting or even know like on a friend level. And I think like what you're saying is it's so good. It's like, that's the acknowledgement that we're talking about. That is literally, it's just like so many people are like, wow, I'm sure black people are like so happy right now because so many companies are like approaching them almost like this petty view. And I'm like, no, this is what we've been fighting for. There's this like campaign right now called like 15%. And it's like 15% of black people make up like the census or something like that. So they're like challenging all companies, like really big corporations to have 15% of the product they carry to be black owned. And I think like Sephora was like one of the major brands that like just joined that like 15% agreement and the campaign. And I'm just like, that, that is it right there. Like, I think what you're doing, like being like, okay, I need to start 
finding people that I like, you know, I think it's like, there's nothing worse than just filling the page of like, okay, they're black. So like, perfect, like great. And you don't even like, you just like, you don't even know them, know anything about them or even like them. Like you just are like, okay, yeah, yeah great. They're black. So <laughs> like, I'm like, there's nothing worse than that. And I think for you, it's, you're only going to blossom. And it's like, that's the future of our world. Like that's the, that's the world that we're heading into is where diverse voices are going to be uplifted. So at this point, it's kind of like you either get with it or you get out, you know? Yeah. it's. I laughed so hard when you said that because I did have this moment where I was learning so much and I bought all the books and I did all the things, and which is great. And I'm so happy I did that. And I followed a bunch of new people, but I mm-hmm. also was like, wait a minute, I follow actually so many really cool black people that I followed for years. So like, let me see what they're doing and let me let me elevate them because that's what I do is I do that normally, you know, Mm -hmm. and with people, you know, I, I curate people to come on the podcast and I like, I should be doing that in, in this work as well. And in my anti-racism and I had to take a step back from that because I think there was, which was so good. There was such a collective movement that I think I just got into the fold of like, okay, well, this is what everyone's doing. So I just do this. And then I diversify my feet, diversify my feet. Yeah. And I was just really like, well, let me slow down and actually do this my way. Like anything Mm -hmm. else that I would do. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's the whole point. It's like, stay true to you and just stay true to the things you like. I'm just sure there's a black person doing it that you just haven't found yet. Yeah, exactly. And it was so easy to, to figure that out. And that's why I, I resonate with you so much. And just, I, I can tell we relate and would get along really well or are getting along really well. Yeah. But the gentleness that you bring to this and the way that you, you said something once that was like you, and I thought this was so beautiful. You were like, you fill yourself up with enough patience to unpack people's racism with them. And when I heard you say that, it made me, cry and I just feel so grateful to you and you know why did you feel called to do this because you know you it is a really big service that you're doing to do this podcast and to show up in this way what was that pull or is that something that happened recently or had that been in you for a while it actually has been in me for a while but I think it was something that I had to like grow and come to an understanding, not to like get religious in any way or offend anyone, but I'm Christian and I grew up, I didn't grow up going to church at all. And I actually went to the church that I, when I like, I decided that Christianity was for me when I was like 16. And that was like separate from my parents. Like my parents don't really like follow Jesus or anything, which is fine. And um, I remember I went to like a really predominantly white church and the pastor of that church, I remember like when the Ferguson riots were happening and he like said from the platform, like all lives matter, blue lives matter, like all this stuff. And I was honestly like so hurt and sickened Mm -hmm. and like just disgusted with the church. Like I was like, how can you say that? Like, I was like, what the hell does that mean? You know? And it kind of took a wrestling in me. And it wasn't until I moved and started going to my church out in LA and to hear from the platform, my 
that pastor say all um, black lives matter and we need to lean into the black community. I was like, Oh snap. And then like, I was a theology student. Like that's what I was studying in college and stuff. And I just, there's a story of like the good Samaritan and just, it's pretty much, it's a story about um, the Samaritan who helps take care of this Jewish man. And that is the story of modern day racism because the Jewish people at the time back then were racist towards the Samaritans. And pretty much Jesus just like shows this picture of like, you guys are dealing with a racism problem. And I know that probably sounds like really crazy. And you're like, okay, what's the point? And the point is just like so many Christians I've seen, especially in this movie, the conservative party thinks that they're the chosen party, that they're like the Christian party. And I think so many people are turned off to the idea of who God and Jesus is because I've seen so many Christians say horrible, ugly things, or honestly sweep the idea of the black lives matter movement under the rug. And for me as a black woman going to church and not being represented, that was a really hard thing for me. And I just kind of came to this understanding of like who Jesus was is the pinnacle of what black people are facing. And he is the ultimate relatability with that because of just the fact that honestly, Jesus was lynched. He was, gathered by the police, hated on, and then hung on a tree for like everyone to see. And I know that sounds like really intense and you're like, whoa, okay, like chill. But my point being with that is Jesus was also so kind and he never yelled at anyone when he wanted to get his point across. Like he was just kind. And it kind of like, for me, I remember when Ahmed Aubrey had died and I was so upset and I was like, dang, like, I really just need to explain how upset I am. And I feel like there are so many fiery voices that were like yelling and demanding justice. And I was like, dang, but that was never Jesus. Like his voice honestly was just like a soft correction. And even like in my life, through my faith, anytime I feel like I've gone too far, like it's always been a soft correction that's brought me back. And I just think that grace is the way we're going to get through this. It's not by canceling people. It's not by demanding justice and looting and tearing apart small businesses, but it's honestly just the soft unpacking that we have to do in our hearts. We're the problem. Us humans are the problem. We're fighting racism now, but in a couple of years, it, it might be a different thing. And I think that what we have to realize is like, if we're not constantly taking the self inventory of who we are, and we just point fingers all the time, then we're never going to fix it. And I think that, I know that's probably not the most like, it's a bit of an unorthodox answer, but it really just stems from the fact that like, I don't have all the answers, but just practicing like a life that I admire that I think is so disgusting that so many people try and twist and distort the beauty of like a really good life. And they try and use it for like an ulterior motive and just spew hate out, but say it's like in Jesus name. And I'm like, dude, enough of this. And I don't like talk about it a ton for my platform, but I'm like, the way I'm going about racism is the way that I think Jesus would go about racism. Because at the end of the day, he wouldn't fit in with white America. Like Jesus was a brown man who was an immigrant to where he grew up and who had immigrant parents and was not liked by many. The police didn't like him. The government didn't like him. The government kept a system that kept the people he was trying to free oppressed. 
And I just think that this is the reality that we're living in today. And if, you know, I'm not the most popular person on Instagram with the other side of people who don't agree with me, but honestly, like neither was Jesus. And I think that's fine. If I'm going to be an outcast to like the Christian society, well, then I want people to know that like, this is the truth of like who Jesus truly was, if that all makes sense. Sorry, that was a bit of a spiel. No, it's perfect. And it goes back to, you know, what we were saying about right over what's popular, you know? Yes, exactly. And I loved what you said about soft corrections and softly unpacking what's in our hearts. This show is called Let It Out and we talk about letting out soft stories. And I believe that what connects us and binds us and makes us feel less alone are sharing, you know, what I call soft stories, these vulnerable, tender things about ourselves that can humanize us and make us, when we share that, there's nothing more connecting, I think. And this is the ultimate version of that, really, of like looking at another human being and understanding. Like It's like seeking, it's like the prayer of like seeking to understand over being understood, right? Yes, exactly. You have this really great video about having hard conversations with friends and family and and you say it's really important to come to these conversations about race with calm and you you said you know it's this slow unpacking and and unlearning and you know I loved that you made this distinction where some of these conversations are going to be sweet and some of them are going to be rough but can you talk about any Thing that people should come to prior to these conversations to be armed with gentleness? Yeah, I think the biggest thing when talking about such a sensitive and controversial topic is honestly like come with love. If you're coming with anger or you're coming with debate points and you're coming uh, to win an argument, if that's how you're viewing the conversation about racism, then you've already lost. You need to come out of concern. You need to come with love. It's like if you're having an intervention with like a family, a family member who's like a drug addict, imagine if I came with debate points. The person who's struggling is just going to be like, what is your goal to be you're right? I'm wrong. You know, but it's like, no, our goal is that we want correction. And so it's like correction comes with love and care. Like to win, I'm right. You're wrong. Anyone can do that. Anyone can win an I'm right, you're wrong out of anger, out of hatred. Wars have started over an I'm right, you're wrong. But I think change, change of heart, that comes from love. That comes from putting your guard down and you listening as much as you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. This ties into, I think, in a, in a public way, performative allyship and authentic allyship. And I was hoping you could talk about that and how cancel culture plays a role in that. Yeah, I think that um, when it comes to cancel culture, we honestly, at the end of the day, like we don't really know. Like we don't really know what a brand's idea is. I don't really know what a company's thinking when they release a statement or say something. So I think when it comes to accusing i feel like i've seen so many people accusing brands of like performative allyship honestly we need to work on giving everyone the benefit of the doubt innocent until proven guilty and i feel like once we do that 
will actually have more people have authentic allyship because they've been given the chance to grow. Um, I was talking to one of my friends, I was on her podcast and she was talking about how like, until she like saw my page, she felt so discouraged because she felt like she was coming to the fight late. Like she was joining the fight late and so many people knew more than she had done. And like, she hadn't had a history of like uplifting diverse voices and stuff. And she was like, honestly, I just wanted to act like I wasn't seeing anything that was happening until I came across your page. And I was just like, dang, that's so crazy. Because like, that's my whole goal is people who feel like they're late to the fight and people who are discouraged to join. Like I want to give them a reason to join. Yeah. You make it feel so approachable and easy. And I know that that's not your job and that's not anyone's job. And this work isn't that, but I'm even spiraling if it was even okay for me to say that, but yeah, no, you're so good. (laughs) And I think, and I think that's like, I say that all the time that like, I know it's not my job, but I want it to be my job. Like I want to be a helping force in like this conversation. And, and I want people to come to me before going to their black friends who honestly probably might not even have the capacity to like talk about these issues and the things that are happening. Yeah. When talking about allyship in a performative sort of a way, I think what we have seen in these last couple of weeks and we we've talked about it in your work is, you know, figuring out a social media etiquette right now. Can you talk about that as things are, are shifting and, and people are, um, you know, not, not saying we don't want things to go back to normal. We want something new. Can you talk about your thoughts there? Yeah. I think when it comes to like, there's no such thing as normal. Like I think COVID-19 really set us up like in 2020 as like understanding that like whatever happened, I feel like everyone kept saying this, but it's like whatever happens after we're out of this quarantine, things will never go back to the same. And I feel like same with this movement, whatever happens, it's like we'll never go back to the same. And I think the social media etiquette of acting like things were quote unquote normal, like that's so harmful and so dangerous. And I think that like, it's so important for us now to like recognize and realize that like, we don't want things to go back to normal. Normal was the problem. And so I think now you got to stay true to your convictions and your part. And it's like, not everyone's called to like protest and run up and down the street and not everyone's called to like be super vocal and fill their feet up like I have with a ton of resources. Like sometimes your part is like donating and financial like involvement. Sometimes your part is like um, sharing graphics and sometimes your part is having hard conversations and doing internal like self-reflection. Like I feel like everyone's part in this is so different, but the social media etiquette is understanding that like you don't want things to go back to normal. Like we want to uplift diverse voices. We want to like fix the problem that we've had. And right now, like we need to just kind of like have awareness towards like what's happening. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share around what people can do, you know, on any sort of platform that could be most useful right now? Right now, the biggest thing is just, we have to like keep paying attention because there's still like a lot of injustice happening. And like, like I think I just got done saying like when it comes to quote unquote, the normal, it's like, we all felt like as a nation, that initial like 
jerk in shock of when George Floyd had passed and Ahmed Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, like all these different stories of unfortunate murders. And so it's like, we need to like hold that conviction and like that shock true. Like we need to, can't forget, but like we need to remember that like we're in the middle of a fight that is nowhere near being finished. Yeah. Can you talk about the uncomfortable and what that is and how you came up with the idea? Yes. So the uncomfortable is a clothing line, I guess is the best way to put it, but it's honestly so much more than that. It's just a space for some of my friends uh, that are artists where we want to like highlight and talk about uncomfortable issue and directly so through clothing. So just kind of like statement shirts, like some of the graphics that I've made going onto a t-shirt and to create our goal is to create conversation through clothing. We also want to do like PSAs and like different campaigns. But right now the t-shirt that we're about to launch is the first initial graphic that I posted that went viral. And that shirt, all the proceeds that we make from it are being donated. And in the future, we always want whatever we come out with and create, we always want 30% of our proceeds to go towards a different campaign that we're running for. Because like I said, I think the conversation right now is racism, but in a little bit, like who knows what other conversation and uncomfortable thing we're going to have to really talk about and unpack. Yeah, I love that. And I can't wait to have a shirt. (laughs) Okay, let's wrap up with some lighter, quick fire questions. What's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Uh, The vegan mac and cheese from Trader Joe's. Favorite place in LA? Malibu. What's something that you can never get sick of food wise and like always crave that might be your like last meal? The vegan mac and cheese for food. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Greatest lesson on friendship. To be quick to admit when you're wrong. Mm. What's your favorite part of your life right now? I guess everything that I'm doing, just getting to create content is it's been incredible. Yeah. What do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or scattered or disorganized or like you don't have enough time? I reach out to my friends and like stop and like reach out to my friends and ask for help. Mm. What are you most curious about right now? I guess the future, the future of the world and how this is all going to play out. What's your greatest lesson on family? You can't choose your family. You can't choose your family. So that means that you have to love them even if it's loving them from afar. What would you say to someone who's wanting to share, wanting to make graphics or do some sort of similar art and admires you and your style? What advice would you give them? I would just tell them that you can do it. I do my stuff off my phone. Like If the art's in you, there's no hiding it. Mm, I love that. Okay, so this is um, really just a way to recommend things. So favorite book or a book that you want to recommend, music, podcast, a food, a TV show, movie. These can be like recent favorites or all-time favorites that you love. A book that I just read that's really good and it just talks about like hustle culture and like how harmful it is, but it's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It's really good. And I just watched Uncut Gems and that was a really good like movie. It's 
kind of like it's like having a panic attack like the whole time you're watching a movie it's <laughs> actually really fun to watch even though that doesn't sound fun but those are like the two things that i've recently have read cool. or <laughs> random <Watched>. yeah <laughs> taken in so the name of the show is let it out did you let out anything that you wanted to is there anything that you never get to talk about that you wish that you would get to let out that you wish that i would have asked what was actually really cool is usually when I come on podcasts or talk, I feel like people usually just ask me questions that they have. But I thought it was really cool that you like asked me about like how I grew up and all of that. Cause I know, yeah, it was just really different. Like, and honestly, I appreciate that. The curiosity of my start, I guess. Mm, good. Well, did I squeeze you for all your juice? Is there anything else that you want people to know or feel like my audience would be would be useful other than I'll say this, that everyone should 100% follow you and the uncomfortable and buy a shirt and support you. Oh my gosh, you're so kind. But no, honestly, I just think that like, if you're being overwhelmed by this movement and everything that's happening, there's small approachable steps and like, don't compare yourself to what other people are doing. Just like stay true to like who you are and your part in the fight. Again, it's the gentleness and the soft corrections that are so what's so magnetic about you, I think. And I'm just, I'm so excited for you and everything that you're doing. And I think you're really cool. And I'm so happy that I got to meet you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is such a great experience. So we always end with a letting out a deep breath together. Are you down? Yes. Okay. Inhale. Let it out. Thank you so much, Dom. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. This is seriously so cool. How cool is Dom? She's really great, right? I am so happy that she did the podcast. I'm so happy that she exists. I'm so grateful for her work and that I got to share it with you is really cool. So like I said at the beginning, follow her, get obsessed with her and the uncomfortable, her work and in general, (laughs) to look at the uncomfortable is a way to grow. If you want to get the show notes to this episode and all episodes sent right to you, there's a link wherever you're listening to this. You can just click on that and we'll send the show notes to you. Easy breezy. Also, if you want to look at the Let It Out kits, they're available. We're going to be doing a book club this summer, which I'm really excited about. More info on all of that is in the show notes. And last week, our 300th episode, we shared a document that is pretty robust, definitely not exhaustive, but has all of the anti-racism articles and videos and courses and people and organizations to support that I have been really taking in as well as other lists from other people. Dom has so many great resources on her Instagram and on her page. So those are some really great places to start. But again, we all want to focus on anti-racism and being allies and in that also taking care of ourselves like we spoke about today. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. 
like us. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, get lost in creativity. Skillshare offers membership with meaning, with so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives. Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. These lessons can help you stay inspired and express yourself and introduce you to a community of millions. At a time when there are so many important conversations happening in our world, your voice is more essential than ever. Explore classes to unlock your creativity for social good. Honestly, there are so many classes on Skillshare. Wow, productivity, marketing, fine art, music production, animation, photography, graphic design, UX design, creative writing. That's what I'm really into. There's so many classes on freelance and entrepreneurship, which is really exciting. I mean, Emma Gannon has this class that I'm very into about discovering successes. There are seven exercises to help you uncover your true purpose and passion and path. She's someone I really admire. Also, I've spoken before about Lindsay C. Holmes and her class that is productivity with everyone using one tool for everything. And I think that's really cool. I mean, honestly, you guys, Parker Guard has this class about building an Etsy shop. And I mean, there's just honestly so much I want to do and learn and so many classes that I want to take. It's a lot and I'm really excited about it. If you are too, Skillshare is incredibly affordable, especially when you compare it to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Start with two months free of a premium membership and explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash let it out. That's two months free at Skillshare.com slash let it out enjoy the rest of your day thank you so much for listening to this episode if you're still listening all the way to the end the emoji for this week's episode is the smiley face with the like blushing cheeks and not a really large smile just like a smaller smile comment that on my instagram on dom's instagram as a little inside joke to let us know not joke it's serious (laughs) that you're listening all the way to the end love you and i will talk to you next week